We were going to call this series Shiny Object Syndrome for the fact that all these new technologies come along and people get really excited about them. But we chose instead to call it This Does Not Compute, a podcast series about what's going on with emerging technologies, with the technologies that you read about in the papers, and we get real experts to come in and talk about it. I'm Caitlin Chin, I work at CSAS, and I'll be your host for this podcast. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Anupam Chander, who is the Scott K. Ginsburg Professor of Law and Technology at Georgetown University Law Center and a visiting scholar with the Institute for Rebooting Social Media at Harvard University's Berkman Klein Center. Professor Chander is the foremost expert in the intersection of digital privacy, trade, and technology law. And so when Meta launched its new Threads app in early July, in what is widely seen as a potential attempt to rival Twitter, I just couldn't resist taking this opportunity to sit down and ask him all of the questions that so many of us, but especially me, have been scratching our heads over. Threads was launched at a unique time where Meta is facing some pretty complicated and numerous, I might add, legal challenges in privacy, antitrust, and content moderation in the United States and around the world. But before we get to those big regulatory questions, I want to start off with the basics. So first of all, Professor Chander, we're now a couple of weeks into the launch of Threads. Have you had a chance to try the app itself? And if so, what are your early impressions of the platform and how does that compare to Twitter? So I uh, downloaded Threads like within the hour that it was announced. Uh, so, and I think I learned about the announcement, of course, via Twitter, which is probably ironic, but I think many people on Twitter were uh, praying for an alter- alternative. I've tried Mastodon. I've been kind of patiently waiting for a blue sky invite. I have not begged for an invite, at least, you know, so I so I, I do see that as the one mode of getting a blue sky invite. I did, of course, sign up for blue sky. I mean, that is, I signed up for the waiting list for Blue Sky uh, very early on as well. So yes, I downloaded Threads uh, immediately. I have used it. I use it on a daily basis. I still don't use it as much as Twitter, however. So if any of our listeners out there have extra Blue Sky invites to give out, I think Professor Chander and myself are both looking for them. Yeah. I mean, those are my impressions as well. I downloaded Threads when it came out, but in the app itself seems easy enough to use, but you're right. It still doesn't seem to have the same functionalities as Twitter, at least I think in terms of its usefulness in the tech policy space. I think for a lot of people, or at least for me personally, the biggest factor in whether or not Threads is useful is not just about features, it's about network. Threads is helpful for me if the technology policy community uses it too. I mean, prior to Elon Musk's takeover last year, Twitter was actually a really useful place to find out about new privacy reports or new research that was being published or to learn about events or conferences that were taking place. But given the fact that Twitter and Threads have traditionally occupied very different niches in the online space, and given the fact that I don't think everyone in the tech policy community has migrated over to Threads, Do you think that Threads will still be able to attract these professional communities? 
Well, I, th I think you are going in the same direction that I'm going, which is one of the basic problems is not just that everyone hasn't migrated over, but that some people can't migrate over because the law essentially forbids them from migrating over. And I know that this is something you want to talk about. Uh, so I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit. So really, I can't have a complete community on threads until I can have my European friends on threads. And so none of these uh, spaces is going to be adequate if it omits such a large swath of the world. And in particular, of course, with the technology community being very much enthralled with the regulation coming out of Europe, it's hard to talk technology without thinking about, without having the Europeans participating in that conversation. I think that Threads doesn't yet offer what uh, I would need to really fully replace Twitter, which is really why I ultimately am still using Twitter more. But I would hope, <laughs> like many of us are, are, are hoping for a robust alternative to develop that I might be able to finally quit my Twitter habit. <laughs> right. It can't be a true public square if it's missing large chunks of the world, like you said. I do want to talk about EU regulation, you're right. But at first, I want to touch upon another community that's pretty active on Twitter, and that's the journalist and the political community. Adam Masseri, who is the head of Instagram, made a comment that threads will not actively prioritize politics or news, and it's not a secret that a big part of Twitter's audience does center around those audiences. So what is your take on the strategy? So news has just been a, a, a thorn in the side of Facebook for a number of years. So as you recall, in Australia, they first faced this question of would they pay uh, uh, news services whenever users linked to the news items on those news services. and they said, we're no longer going to serve news at all in Australia. And their algorithms were not well designed for that. And so, as you know, they, their algorithms kicked out a lot of essential services as well, government services that weren't really news services per se. So a lot of accidental carnage in that denial of service to uh, news sites that they, that they did. And that led, of course, to a huge blowback in Australia, but also in the United States. The U.S. newspapers were really, uh, if you read the uh, accounts of Facebook's uh, interventions or responses in Australia, it was always very negative. Now they're facing the same question about news in Canada. And so that's a real issue. And of course, they've faced these, this question about fake news in the 2016 election in particular and thereafter. So the, these questions about how they deal with news are, have just really caused them to be, uh, I think, a little bit shy of wanting to be seen as a news service. For a while, they were actually partnering with news. I mean, they did you know, have news showcases, et cetera, and they seem to be moving away from that model. Uh, and in that sense, not trying to be the, in that sense, the Twitter alternative, right? Because for many of us, 
for me, really, it's very much a place where I get news. I get the breaking news before anyone else delivers it to me. And it's actually far more robust in some sense. Twitter is a news service for me because I get the arcana of, of all the areas I'm interested in, which may not make the any headlines in in any of the papers. And so, so there'll be someone who who says, "Oh, there'll be this one small thing that the Department of Justice has done with respect to creating the predicate needed for the EU data privacy framework to fall in place." So I'll get that one little thing that I would like, wow, you know, we're really on our way. And I'll know that that's for me, a you know, big signal that adequacy is right around the corner. And so, so those kinds of things that Twitter really offers right now are going to take a while. And look, I've been using Twitter for more than a decade. I shouldn't expect threads to replace it immediately for this news gathering. Now, News also generally isn't really the way that Facebook earns money. And so Facebook would rather, if they could, kind of pick a magic wand and get rid of all politics online and, <laughs> and just uh, stick with entertainment. It was originally, I think, Zuckerberg's idea was dating, you know, so uh, it, it, if we could make it to pure social interaction, not about news, it might reduce some of the headaches that Facebook has and Meta has faced. And so I understand Adam Masseri's, hey, Instagram is really mostly about fun things, looking at cute pictures of things, your day, et cetera, fashions or whatever it might be. So perhaps we won't prioritize news in our feeds. But Casey Newton has a piece where he says, Look, I think inevitably news is going to be on that service. There's no way they're going to be able to keep it off because people like me are going to want to talk about these things and their users will be engaging with the news nonetheless. So I think it, it'll be interesting to see because they can certainly have their algorithms promote more news or not. And so this may be a signal that they, they aren't going to be promoting that much news. And as you can tell, as you know already, Threads is different than Twitter in the sense that it's really truly algorithmic. It's not only who you follow, it's really who you follow and other people that it thinks you should be reading or you might be interested in reading. So it's a lot more TikTok, that TikTokification of algorithms. Meta has had a real degree of success with Reels, their TikTok clone. So I really think that that is their kind of current future, the TikTokification of social media. So as, as opposed to the original, you know, you go back the last decade, it's the social graph. Facebook is the social graph. It's the best social graph. And they know whom you know. And that's, that's, for them, they thought originally the best signal of what you might be interested in. Turns out that that's not the case. I want to pick up on that last comment. Facebook has been the best social graph for the past 10 years. Um, in fact, Meta has pretty much dominated the industry for the past decade. According to the Business of Apps, Instagram had 2.3 billion users worldwide and $51.5 billion in revenue in 2020, 
which is significantly higher than Twitter's estimated 370 million users and 4.6 billion in revenue internationally. It's unclear how those numbers will change in 2023 after Elon Musk's takeover. I don't think that they're going to improve. But I, I think the point is Threads received reportedly over 100 million signups within a week of launching. And I think that given Meta's size, any market expansion is going to raise some eyebrows in some circles. So Professor Chander, I was wondering if Threads continues to maintain its size or even get bigger in the long term, how do you think that could potentially affect competition or consumers? So I'm all for competition in this space. We need more companies that are provide alternatives. And so we have Truth Social out there trying to, the president trying to offer up his, the former president, the distinctly former president, I should say, trying to offer up his alternative. We've got lots of, we've got Mastodon and other services built atop of Mastodon and et cetera. So we've got, you know, activity pub protocol based services and others. So I'm really hoping that Threads does succeed. Partly I want competition, partly it's because Elon Musk is really the kind of not the, I, I didn't want an edge lord lording over the social media domain that I am addicted to. And so, so it's a, it's an unfortunate choice, but you know, as others have noticed that Elon has made Mark Zuckerberg look good. I think many of us are rooting for uh, Mark in that cage match. Um, <laughs> I don't really approve of cage matches, but it will be something that would, if if it comes to pass, I think there'll be a lot of people, even on Twitter, rooting for for Mark. And so, so anyway, so I, I'm thinking that Threads is re a real a contender here. I think it's easy to use. Its algorithms certainly imperfect, and I would like more of the, uh, the kind of curation to the people I follow, perhaps. But I think it's very early, as we said. And as you said, it had 100 million, maybe 150 million last figures they gave. And with tens of millions, they said, returning each day. And so I'm hopeful that there is an alternative that's coming into being. And then maybe we'll see whether Blue Sky can scale up to uh, to actually include us you know, in their, in their future, for example. <laughs> I bet Mark Zuckerberg's hoping that the chaos at Twitter will cause everybody to forget their distrust of meta and join threads. <laughs> Under traditional antitrust theory, more competition is good because it incentivizes platforms to compete and improve its service. Has Elon Musk given any indication that nascent competitors like Blue Sky or Macedon or Threads or any of the others might incentivize it to maybe address some of the many issues that people have raised about his leadership of Twitter so far? So you saw Elon, I mean, I think we should treat Twitter as his plaything. And so I'm going to say Elon, we saw Elon offer two big creators on Twitter, people who had very large and actively engaged fan base, actual payments. So we don't think of Twitter as really largely for creators. There, there was some alternative, some options for that. But just this week, he changed the rules in order to be giving out a pot of uh, in the millions of dollars. And so 
I kind of think that was a way to say to those guys, hey, you aren't going to make any money on threads. Stay here. Don't take your you know, millions of people and move somewhere else. And I think that was a kind of early preemptive move on Elon's part to retain some of their most popular accounts. So yes, you already see the competition literally <clears throat> causing some change, perhaps for the better, from the perspective of those big accounts. Yeah, Is that yeah. better for society? I'm not totally sure. But competition isn't about necessarily what's better for society. It's what's better for the consumers who are using those services. And here, those consumers include those very big users. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's definitely an argument to be made if that if Threads did not launch when it launched, Elon Musk may not have taken this move to pay out however many millions of dollars that Twitter probably does not actually have. I want to pivot now. Yeah, I mean, back. I should, I just, just, to, uh, just to add to that, and Elon's not even paying the rent for Twitter. <laughs> he, he, he had some run-in where he wasn't even paying his server bills to Google. So the fact that he's paying out money at all to anyone, unless he had, and he fired as many employees as he could, and he doesn't want to give them the severance that they were promised. So everything, he's not giving out money. So the fact that he's unusually actually being liberalizing payments out of Twitter's pockets does suggest that, and it coincides with Thread's launch, uh, does suggest that that had something to do with it. I want to pivot to the other part that you mentioned, the European Union. So Threads is reportedly available in over 100 countries around the world. But the elephant in the room is that it's not currently available in the EU. And Adam Mosseri told The Verge that the EU's exclusion, at least in this initial rollout phase, is for regulatory reasons. Could you explain what he might be referring to? So there's just conjecture at this point. We don't know exactly. So there are, you mentioned that Meta is facing lots and lots of controversies around the world, and many of them are in Europe. You've got this big issue with sending data of uh, of European persons to the United States. And so, and I'm sure Threads is is doing that as well. I haven't looked to see what the terms of service say, but I, I would guarantee that uh, they are written right now to send data to the United States because it's much easier to build a single infrastructure rather than try to replicate it across the world. You can, you can, especially for cybersecurity purposes, for robustness purposes, it's it's easier to to do that. And it's certainly less costly, for example, also. But in any case, uh, so you've got this ruling from European authorities that says basically you've got to pay $1.1 billion and you can no longer send data to the United States and you have to get rid of the data that you have already sent. Now, I know that there is this adequacy ruling that we've just now uh, established. There is this data privacy framework between Europe and the United States that's now in place, that's just come online. Uh, but the details of that, I think, will still take some time to hammer out for a company like a Meta to 
to be confident that it is within the terms of that ruling, of the adequacy ruling and the, and the framework. So that's one problem. They've got another problem, which is the another decision involving behavioral advertising. And so Threads isn't launching necessarily with advertising at all right now, but you can imagine that all that data gathering is already in place. So that kind of profiling is already possible and it may well be sharing information with Instagram and things like that. So because it's using Instagram to bootstrap users into the system to authenticate them, et cetera. So the Instagram's authentication systems are central to Thread's operation. So, so it's got that problem. And then you've got these other, that's, <laughs> that's just the old law. And now we've got new law coming on the books, the Digital Markets Act, which says, hey, if you're a dominant platform in one thing, you really can't extend that dominance in, in particular ways. And here, this would be extending the dominance in this new direction. And so the, the DMA poses yet another roadblock, you know, potentially for Meta. And in this new kind of digital world that the Europeans have created, the penalties are enormous. Basically, they're penalties that will swallow up all your profit for the year. So they're based on revenues and they're based on global revenues. So they can swallow up, even if you have revenues within Europe, say 10, 12% or whatever the exact figure is, they could swallow up all of your, certainly European profits by far, but all, perhaps all your profits for the year uh, worldwide, which would not be a wise move for uh, for Zuck with respect to his shareholders. So lots and lots of reasons why Zuckerberg and Adam Asari and, and the team may have decided not to roll out threads right now. So in other words, I don't see an easy resolution for this anytime soon for Europeans to be invited to join or for, and to put it a different way, for threads to feel confident that it can offer this service in Europe without facing serious legal blowback. Do you think that there is a resolution? And I ask because I know that Max Schrems has already said that he plans to challenge the European Union, U.S. data privacy framework, which recently received an adequacy decision. And I know around the time of the Ireland decision that you mentioned, Meta had previously said that it might have to make Facebook unavailable in the EU if we couldn't come to an agreement on data flows. And I was just wondering, what do you see for Meta's future in the European Union as a whole? So not just Threads, but also its other properties. Do you think it'll have to change its entire monetization strategy, given the Digital Markets Act and the European Court of Justice decision with antitrust in Germany? All those things, I think we are yet, we have yet to see. I think there's a huge cloud here over Facebook's or Meta's future in Europe. At the same time, Meta remains popular within Europe. I mean, the Meta services are actually popular among citizens. So the European authorities understand that. They're not really there. I think they've always been hopeful that there'll be a European competitor that rises to fill the void. But for example, I mean, you might think Be Real or, or Spotify, the... Uh, 
couple of European social networks that are popular outside Europe. I'm not, I'm excluding here the Russian social networks, which are popular within Russia, of course. And then the other, I guess, the other possibility would be Telegram, which would be yet another kind of odd, kind of European, kind of not, but not EU European, exactly. So all this um, uncertainty, and you've got really a cloud, which obviously the data privacy framework really helps lift some aspect of that. And I think there's that $1 billion fine, which we'll see what, what happens with that. But presumably, it doesn't have to expunge the data now. I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not Facebook as uh, Meta is forced to expunge all European data that had been transferred prior to July 2023 or something along those lines. That would be very, very complicated for, for Meta to do. But I think you're right that this is, this is a, a time of extreme challenge for Meta in Europe. And Max Schrems, as you, as you rightly note, has said he's dissatisfied. He calls this just warmed over privacy shield. And he thinks the privacy shield was not very effective. And I don't think that that's a, a I don't think that's a, a reasonable characterization. There's a, there's a ton of work that went into the data privacy framework. There's just a lot of stuff that was done to reach an adequacy decision by the Americans. And so, so I, I actually am not, I think we'll see a Noib or none of your business uh, lawsuit. I think we'll see that certainly, but I'm not confident that the CJEU will side with, uh, with Max a third time. We'll see. I'm not, it's very hard to predict, but I think there's, it doesn't want, so the commission desperately believes that this is the way forward. This, for the CJEU to repeatedly say to the commission, you don't understand how to protect fundamental rights again and again and again in a, in a way that the commission has been clearly working you know, as hard as possible to do. I just find it hard to believe that that's the likely result in this. So on that side, at least, I think the data privacy framework will hold for the next decade or whatever it is, not the next five years. And even it'll survive ch challenge. Again, I'm not an expert on the CJEU's internal thinking on these kinds of matters, et cetera. But I think the it would be the internal repudiation of the commission would be so stark. I don't know if there's any comparable move by, so at the start of the internet age, Congress passed the Communications Decency Act and the Supreme Court invalidated a core part of that in uh, Reno v. ACLU. And then Congress went back at it again with another Children's Online Protection Act, which then was struck down in, in the Supreme Court yet again in Ashcroft v. ACLU. Then, then Congress said, we're not going to try again. This is not one of those areas where the executive can afford not to have some mechanism 
that's easy to transfer data to the United States. It's such an important part of economic life within Europe that Europeans need to transfer data to the United States in order to benefit from American services. Some European businesses need to do so, et cetera. So it's it's hugely important for Europe to be able to transfer data to the United States. So unlike Congress, which faced with the decency questions for children, could say, we're not going to do this again. The commission has to do it. If it's repudiated yet again, it'll just be back at the drawing board doing it again. And the CJU will just be back with the same, with Meta, with Mark Zuckerberg pleading to be able to transfer data yet again. It just does, I can't really imagine that as a way to have any kind of uh, harmony among the disparate entities within the European Union. Yeah, it's a lot of uncertainty for businesses and a long time to be in that state of uncertainty, I might ask. I want to pick up on a com- on a comment you made earlier. You mentioned that perhaps the commission is waiting for a European platform to fill the void left by Twitter and others. And I know that one of the concerns raised by U.S. companies is that the Digital Markets Act potentially disproportionately targets U.S. tech companies, I believe out of the seven companies that declared meeting the thresholds as a gatekeeper, almost all were American, plus maybe ByteDance and Samsung. I was just wondering, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I will reserve my thoughts here. You know, I'll try to be diplomatic. It's, I want to choose my words carefully here. Look, The American companies are dominant, but there are lots of realms where European companies are dominant. European companies dominate various industries in in the world. And so this is not something where American companies dominate all over the place. Now, do we create the same set of rules in the industries where the Europeans are dominant? So let's say luxury fashion, which has huge markups, uses uh, lots and lots of means to manipulate us and to get us to pay thousands of dollars for something that costs them $50 to stitch, right? Uh, If even, right? So we could have lots of special rules that deal with these kinds of things and say, hey, this kind of markup just is unfair to consumers, et cetera. You can imagine all these kinds of things. So the coincidence that the worry about this market being dominated in a particular way. And by the way, the digital economy is much bigger than Google, Meta, or GAFAM, or or any of these companies, right? It's the digital economy is the entire economy at this point. Everyone is part of the digital economy. And so you you can't be a business today, almost, you, you nearly cannot be a business without having some digital component of your business. And so the Americans don't dominate the digital economy. They dominate certain narrow segments of the digital world. Anyway, it's it's interesting to see. I mean, you know, imagine if a payments network from Europe became the most popular payments network. So you've got European digital lenders. So 
the ones that that allow you to pay over a certain a long you know you buy something today and pay later what we would call the layaway plan or something like that a long time ago and the, they're actually quite big in those spaces so you've got a lot of companies that are are big you've got uh, some european gaming companies that are very big and so if i were the european union i would say you know what are we doing well let's focus on that and rather than keeping on you know the i've watched i've watched this for nearly 25 years literally and Basically, the Europeans have been hoping for another search engine to develop, another cloud service to to develop, et cetera, to rival these companies. And I, I don't. I think that things will develop. I'm not saying, but it, it's very hard to predict and to uh, to create that. Now, should there should antitrust law be applied to these companies? Yes. The question is whether it should be a special antitrust law only for these companies. That's that's a kind of weird way to do antitrust. Uh, and so and it just coincidentally just targets companies that are based outside their uh, continent. Uh, and so so there was some complaints from the American administrations that from the US Commerce Department that the way that the law was structured was designed to target American companies. And I think there's there's a coincidence of this. Look, if they covered Spotify, I'd feel less worried, right? Spotify is not in that list. I don't know if you subscribe to Spotify, I subscribe to Spotify. Is Spotify really, I mean, anyway, I, I would go into, so there's a, a it's it's just a, the, and if you look at the thresholds, they're all designed to avoid, to give Spotify headroom to grow. Um, and so to, to make sure that Spotify is not covered for the next five years, et cetera, right? So I think there's uh, so, some reason for American foreheads to wrinkle at the, at the way that the law has been structured. Yeah, a lot of attention coming from U.S. legislators, too. And now we know that U.S. antitrust legislation and U.S. comprehensive privacy legislation are still pending on Capitol Hill, let's just say that. But Meta has also had a pretty lengthy history with the Federal Trade Commission. And as just two quick examples, in May, the FTC proposed changes to Meta's 2020 consent order that would ban the company from monetizing data from people under 18, and also require it to receive written confirmation of privacy compliance in order to release new products. In addition, the FTC is challenging Meta's acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp for antitrust reasons, alleging, among other things, that its dominance helped it engage in privacy abuses. So against this backdrop, what are the biggest questions that U.S. regulators should be asking, if any, about threads? <laughs> well, so... The question about threads is is a fascinating one, of course. I mean, and I'm not an anti, so I should make sure that I've made it plain. I've said I'm not an expert on the CJEU, though I've spoken about the CJEU nonetheless. And I'm going to, again, say I'm not an expert in antitrust. I just am forced to work in this domain because of the other work I do. So I think threads is going to raise questions. But here's, it's really, really an interesting kind of from a policy perspective. Is threads good competition? We talked about it as competition at the start. 
Or is this bad competition because this is a company that's already dominant, that's using its dominance. You talked about the Instagram's you know, social graph and Instagram's enormous user base. And it's piggybacking on that user base to help populate your social network, your network on, on threads. So is that an abuse of, the, of that dominant position? <laughs> where, do we, where does that shake out? Is this good for consumers? Is this bad for consumers? I think this is uh, where the balance lies, maybe in the eye of the beholder. And so, so I think that's going to be a really tricky question. If I can, so let me just mention TikTok. So there's a kind of irony here that's also ongoing, which is that TikTok is the kind of mortal enemy of Meta, and so so I get criticized for like being for one of these companies or whatever, being these for these companies, whatever. I'm actually just for what I think is a good world out there. And the amusing thing for me is that I can say, hey, look, there's some things that we might want Meta to do that I think are good, like that are helpful. I think Threads is a good thing and I'm cheering Threads on. I even said I was going to cheer on Mark in the, in the cage match. But the other thing I want to say is that TikTok is, uh, like I said, a mortal threat to Facebook itself, to Meta itself. And Meta is rapidly, as I suggested, trying to recreate itself as TikTok. Uh, and so even the Threads algorithmic approach is uh, borrowing in some sense from TikTok. And so, so the amusing thing is that I'm cheering on TikTok as well. And the Biden administration is out here trying to destroy TikTok, as far as I can tell. Or the ideal solution for Biden is, uh, is for TikTok to pass into American hands so that he can still benefit from the democratic advantage that TikTok offers while still not being uh, accused of being soft on China, which is what, if, if he allows TikTok to continue. So he's in this kind of uh, dilemma. So he has a, the simple solution for that, which is an American owner for TikTok, which would still allow democratic voices to, to be uh, heard in the 2024 election. So anyway, I'm just making it very, very political, but I think politics is, having spent my time in DC, <laughs> politics is, is there all the way down. And that shows you there's just such an incredible competition question because TikTok is this incredible competitor. And the Biden administration is literally threatening as uh, reportedly ByteDance with shuttering TikTok if, unless it sells. So if ByteDance doesn't sell, it may be forced to close. And that's what ByteDance did in, in India. ByteDance closed TikTok. It didn't sell it, so it just uh, shuttered it. So there is no TikTok in India. And it'd be interesting to see what happens in the United States in the future. But this is, again, a question of what kind of competition do you want? Do you want a TikTok co competitor? Or do you say, no, Meta should rule the day and Meta should own that space? Uh, and remain as dominant as ever. 
now I'm just picturing Shozi Chu in that cage match along with Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, social media has become very political lately. Um, and I know that you and I have very similar views on TikTok, Professor Chander. I, I'm not convinced that TikTok would be safer in the hands of like an Elon Musk billionaire type or like a large corporation like Meta, especially given the fact that um, since we still haven't passed U.S. data federal privacy legislation, I mean, American companies are notorious for their data collection practices. Thank you so much again, Professor Chander, for joining us today. Now, I just have one more question for you. For more timely takes on technology, law, and policy, is there anywhere our podcast listeners can follow your work, whether on social media or a personal website or an email listserv? Sure. So I do have a personal website at chander.org, but probably I would commend either my threads account, which is a underscore chander. That was my Instagram handle. And it's, it's, it's one I wish I hadn't chosen a long time ago, but I did choose it a long time. So I wasn't <laughs> expecting to use it. That was supposed to be purely for like a dozen <laughs> friends and family or whatever. <laughs> and now it's become the way that I, that I offer threads. I don't know what they're actually called, posts, whatever. <laughs> but of course, my Twitter feed as well, at Anupam Chander on Twitter. So thank you, Caitlin. This was uh, such an incredibly uh, wonderful conversation and, and so fun to see one of my former students. Uh, sorry, I have to say that now, which is, uh, <laughs> is I'm very proud of. And so always just amazed at uh, all the great stuff you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know I'll be closely watching to see how this thread's Twitter situation unfolds. And I know I'll also continue to closely follow your work, Professor Chander. So thank you again for joining me and for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you, Caitlin. Take care. Thanks for listening. See you on the next episode.